Well, good morning, church. I am Pastor Justin, one of the pastors here. Uh, and we are going through, uh, as Steve already read this morning, we're going through uh, the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, today, uh, we're going to get to Psalm 122. Uh, so you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there if you have that. Um, and, and as Ed has already kind of mentioned, right, the Psalms of Ascent, they are called that because people, the followers of God, uh, are making their ways up to Jerusalem for one of the three uh, festivals that they uh, annually may go to. They might go to one, they might go to all three. Um, and quite literally, they sang these songs uh, as they were going uphill uh, from all directions, traveling to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was sitting at around 2,800 feet, and so you are basically walking, hiking uphill. Um, <clears throat> honestly, both of these weeks, um, as we have talked about singing, going uphill, uh, I, I feel like I've been humbled uh, because who in the heck sings while they walk uphill, <laughs> right? Um, I, I consider myself a person who actually enjoys walking uphill. Uh, not everybody would do that. I, I, I like hiking. I like putting my daughter in the backpack, and we're going uphill, uh, and it's good. But I can tell you the last thing on my mind is to sing, uh, and especially sing praises to God for, for the energy that I am expending. Uh, but, yeah, so that's like kind of a humbling moment. So if you can't do that while you walk uphill, uh, you need more Jesus. Amen. Sermon over. Uh, no, we'll get a little deeper than that. Um, but as we are going through these Psalms of Ascent, uh, we kind of see a pattern emerge uh, that, that repeats itself every three chapters. So the first chapter, 120, we kind of see a theme of trouble and chaos. We then get to Psalm 121, which was last week, and it takes on this theme of trust. And Pastor Ed was talking about, you know, where do we fix our eyes? Where does our help come from? And then today, the, the, the theme kind of takes on this idea um, of triumph. So we kind of see that pattern emerge, and it repeats itself every couple times. And, and this psalm in particular, as we see, is it's a psalm of David. Um, and so as you're w working through the Psalms of Ascent, you get this very realistic of what a Christian's journey in life is like, right? It's not all the way up all the time. It's not flowers and daisies all the time. Uh, but oftentimes it's, it's a few steps forward, a few steps backward. Um, it's progress in fits and starts, but it is progress nonetheless. So it, it gives us this idea of, of what the journey looks like and what following Christ is, look like, is looking like. In Psalm 122, it, it really gets us into um, this emphasis of we are on this journey, this journey of ascent, this journey that's a struggle, this journey uh, that is challenging, but on this journey, we are not alone. In fact, we have people around us who are similarly like-minded in the sense of professing faith, who are brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are one of the most important parts of our journey to God. We need each other for this journey. So we're going to look at 122 and, and what, it, uh, what it has to say about this. 
Um, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of pose to you my, my overarching point this morning uh, right now. So if you need to get out of here fast, you can leave after this. Um, but my question to you this morning is what is your attitude and mentality towards worship? What is your attitude and mentality towards Worship. For clarification, when I say worship, I am not meaning just the mere um, music, instrument, singing part of, of what we just did wonderfully. Good job, man. Um, but rather, what I'm referencing and will begin to kind of use interchangeably throughout this message is this idea of worship being the gathering of God's people in the presence of God. That is, what my, that is what the term uh, worship means. Uh, and so you might hear me say worship. You might hear me say church. Um, so what is your attitude and mentality towards the gathering of the people of God in the presence of God? So we get into, we get into Psalms 122, and it says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Do we rejoice when given the opportunity to attend church? The psalm begins with um, two words, I rejoiced. As Eugene Peterson states in his book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, uh, Psalm 22 is a psalm of a person who has decided to go to church, is a, is a, is of a person that has decided to go to worship. At the time and current context, right, Jerusalem is where the temple was and it's where God's presence was uh, deemed to be. The mere invitation and opportunity for a believer to attend one of these feasts uh, brought great joy and excitement. We see this with David. I rejoiced at the opportunity to go. You had people leaving their homes, their communities, for weeks at a time to walk upwards of hundreds of miles to get to Jerusalem, weeks at a time to gather together with believers, and they were incredibly excited and happy to the sense of they sang songs as they ascended. They were stopping their lives to do this, sometimes once a year, sometimes twice a year, sometimes three times a year. Remember that we are on this journey with the psalmist, right? We started this journey in 120. We're surrounded by people who don't really care about God or care about God's ways. Uh, Along the way in Psalm 121, we have learned to trust in God's providence and his care. Uh, And now we are finally arriving in Jerusalem, and we're thinking back to the beginning of this journey and how glad we were that we did it. While I opened with this joke, right, about uh, about, uh, praising while walking uphill and praising God, um, I do have the genuine question of, I wonder how many of us in today's context uh, would choose to attend worship if that was our context, um, in fact, I, I remember, I'm, I'm going to throw my previous church under the, under the bus, just, just temporarily. But uh, my previous church, we uh, it was kind of an up-and-coming mega church, and, and we were trying to grow, and, and we would consistently 
be asking ourselves, how do we get more people through the doors? How do we, how do we make this happen? And I remember uh, this really long discussion that we, we actually we bought a golf cart, a limousine golf cart, because we, we kind of brought in people from 30, 40 yards away because we didn't want them to walk the whole way. <laughs> Now, you might be saying, well, you know, the handicap, well, the handicap spots were right beside the church, right? The golf cart wasn't even for them. It was for people who were able and willing to, to walk, but we just didn't want them to. Um, <clears throat> we have gotten to a, a place in culture in American day that attending church and being a part of the church and being a part of the body of believers is, is probably down five or six notches in our priority list. A.W. Tozer, he preached in, in a sermon that says, Whatever happened to our worship? Uh, he says, Christian churches have come to the dangerous time predicted long ago. It is a time that we can pat one another on the back, congratulate ourselves, and join in glad refrain. We are rich, increased with goods, and have need of nothing. It is certainly true that hardly anything is missing from our churches these days, Tozer says, except the most important thing. We are missing the genuine and sacred offering of ourselves and worship to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer, uh, if you know when he lived, he died uh, in the early 1960s. I think it was 1964. And this was a sermon that he preached uh, in the late 1950s or maybe early uh, 60s. And I think it would be a safe assumption to say that what we have as a church now compared to then is significantly more. The convenience of, of online church, of podcast, of all of these things that are attempting to replace the body of believers gathering in the presence of God is more now than it ever has been in history. If you were to ask people who do not attend public worship or those who just come rarely, uh, you get a ton of different reasons of why one doesn't attend. It is, it is our family time. Uh, I have too much to do. I have errands to run. I can just listen and watch later. I grew up going because my mom made me do so, and now I do not want to do it. Uh, it is my only day to sleep in. It is when my kids play sports. We have another camping trip on the books. Attending worship for us as believers is something that is truly optional in our faith. It is not forced. Of course, there are circumstances of, yes, maybe a spouse makes us go, or maybe a parent has made us go for a long time, but all of those reasons will eventually fade. All of those reasons will not last long term. Attending worship uh, is something that is truly optional. One's true motive, right, we know this, this, is, this is true in life, one's true motive is exposed when given the freedom to do what they want. And how they spend their free time and their money shows their one's heart. Because of this, we can evaluate where our hearts stand with being a part of the body of believers, are you joyful with your church attendance, or does it reveal a deep resentment? 
Do you prioritize the church above many other things, or does it take a back seat to every other hobby, activity, sport, or desire in your life? The psalmist here, he is, he is showing that there is true excitement and benefit of gathering together with God's people in the presence of God. And I would contend to you that that peace is not replaceable. There is no other substitute for it. What is your reaction? What is your, do, you, do we rejoice at the mere opportunity when, we are, when we're given the chance to attend church, to attend worship? We get into the next uh, three verses, and it says, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statue given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, They're the thrones of the house of David." Uh, next point and question for you under this, what is our attitude and mentality towards worship, is do we embrace the diversity the church creates or do we run from it? Uh, when we look at verse 3, we see the psalmist, he, he writes, or David writes, Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. Here he is, he is obviously, he's talking about the physical architecture of the city, right? Jerusalem is this, he's, it's a walled city on a hill. There, uh, the boundaries were fixed by its natural geography. Uh, there was limited space. There was no room for expansion. There was no room for fields beyond, between the houses. There's no room for urban sprawl. And so the houses, uh, they're all joined together and everything, especially during these festivals when hundreds of thousands of people are, are, are ascending to Jerusalem. Everything that is happening is you are right up on each other. There is no, there is no place for you to go anywhere else. So he's, he's talking about the architecture, but he's also talking about the people. A large crowd assembled for the feast, and there is great excitement in the people coming together. As I've already mentioned, there was people who were coming to these festivals from very far away. From very far away. And so I, I had some fun on, on Google Maps and was just kind of like looking like, okay, if, if Oregon City was Jerusalem, it is not, uh, but if Oregon City was Jerusalem, how far are, are, of a pool of people are we, are we pulling from? Um, and so it was upwards, there was a, a tribe of Israel that, that could pull upwards of 120 miles north of Jerusalem, all right? And so for us, that was approximately Olympia, Washington. Uh, from there, from uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to the west, it was um, to the Mediterranean Seas, it was about 40 miles. And so for us, that would be McMinnville, approximately, right? Um, to the east, um, it was about uh, 35 miles. And so for us, that was approximately Sandy. Um, and then to the south, it was 45 miles, and it was approximately Salem. Can you imagine if, if, if there was one 
gathering, one church here in Oregon City that we are pulling from that area, can you imagine the diversity of believers that would be present in a worship service, right? You would have a good old country boy from Estacada worshiping next to the Portland hippie, right? It's like we would have these, and if you're either of those, no offense, you're great. Um, but the diversity and just between believers of Portland and believers of Salem compared all the way up to Olympia and McMinnville, right? The, the mere, yes, these are people of God that are coming together who have a common belief being the gospel, the most, what I would say, the most important thing to have in common in life. However, they are significantly different. They have significant different, they have different lives, they have different hobbies, they have different opinions on worship, they have different opinions on, this, uh, on uh, how you approach things, they have different thoughts and ideas, and their lives are drastically different than what you, your life might look like. While we do not have that type of diversity in the, in the church, and I just mean in, in general as well as specifically, right, we, we, we don't have one church building for that massive area. However, you could agree that if a church probably has more than 10 people, you're going to have a diverse set of people of different beliefs and different ideas, past. Right? We're gathering around faith, we're gathering around the gospel, but past that, we're going to disagree, right? Your spouse, who you spend the most time with, who you love, hopefully the most in life, you consistently will disagree with them. The church, one of the most important and irreplaceable parts of the gathering of a body of believers is that we are being unified around faith, around the gospel, despite where you are from, and what you look like. We are different than one another, yet we are considered brother and sister because of what Christ has done for us. Diversity is something that I feel like we embrace in theory, right? I, I've done a lot of interview questions Recently, in a, and there was, uh, there's always a question about diversity. There's always a question of how you learn from it. There's always, we, we live in a time where we are attempting to embrace diversity. It is a great thing. But I think diversity on itself is something that if you are ever asked, there's probably a small percentage of people who would disagree with me on this, but if you are ever asked, is diversity a good thing or a bad thing, I would say probably 98% of people would say, oh, it's a great thing. We are so quick to embrace diversity, but I think we are so fast to ignore and run from it. The, the first opportunity, it gets challenging for us because it is challenging when people are different than you. It is challenging when people have different opinions than you. Diversity, even in a group of believers, those who agree, yes, Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again, still can be exhausting. The much easier route that we do and that we tend to do and that I think we are seeing in modern day America is rather than embrace diversity and embrace challenging conversations and embrace different ideologies and embrace different things, 
we look to flee and find our echo chamber. And we do that because we feel like we can control things. We can control things in our echo chamber. We can control things. We can control the narrative. We can control how we feel. We can control how we're challenged. We can control, we can control how we grow. And as we saw last week in, in 121, God wants the opposite for us. God wants us to give him control. God wants us to submit to him. Diversity broadens our perspectives, right? It helps us understand life. It helps us understand issues. It helps us grow. It challenges us. And it even can help us understand and learn more about Scripture. We cannot learn, grow, or be challenged if all we ever do is sit in our echo chamber, if everybody is exactly like you, you're never going to be able to learn. And I think me saying this isn't, it probably, hopefully isn't shocking to you because we see this happening now. We see the issues that this creates. So how do, we, how do we embrace diversity, right? So um, there, I think there's this idea that you have to embrace diversity by, okay, you're right, I'm wrong, 100%, all right? So I'm going to just entirely, the only way it's possible to uh, embrace diversity is if either you change your views to match mine or I change my views to match yours. Now, while that sounds extreme, it feels like that's exactly what is being told to us on a day-to-day -day basis, And I think that's completely wrong. And it feels kind of foolish to even say, I think it's completely wrong that you have to entirely change your mind to, to embrace diversity, but, it, but it's wrong. Rather, we embrace diversity by reaching out. Right? We, are, we are taking the first step. We are being willing. We are, we are eager to learn. We are reaching out, we are eager to learn, and then we're eager to connect. Right, so we're reaching out, we're learning, we're connecting. From there, right, we can do all the learning and all the information and all the knowledge, but if we fail to act, then what good has it been? And then finally, I would say the, the fifth kind of way we embrace diversity is we just be open to change. It's not even necessarily you have to change. You might find out in, 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 in those first couple steps of, yes, it, um, yes, I need to change, and, and that would be a good thing, but um, you have to be open to change. And in this environment of diversity, right, we are, we are different than one another, right, but we have in common the gospel, and we know that we can have challenging conversations with people because ultimately, first and foremost, their priority, their number one, is the gospel. We know we can, there, is, there should be a, a level of, of trust. There should be a level of, um, of, the, of the willingness to listen, to hear, to empathize with somebody who, of course, believes in the gospel, 
Because again, we, we are talking in the context of the body of believers gathering together, being beside one another, and embracing one another even though they are so different than one another. The church should be a beacon of light in the community, of course, because of the gospel. Of course, because we have this message that we are sinners saved by, uh, saved by Christ and rose again for us, and in him we can have new life, right? We have that, and, and, and because of that, that should be the light that is coming out of the church and the community. Uh, but second, we, have, we should have a unique ability as a church, as a body of believers, to embrace diversity, to embrace those who are different than us because of the gospel. The church is uniquely fit for this. And again, it's, it's not that we are 100% changing our minds. It's not that we are changing our biblical uh, convictions, right? But we are being okay with each other when somebody prefers a different worship style. We are okay with somebody because someone sees something maybe a little bit different than we do. But we realize we have in common the gospel. We get into the third part of this psalm and begins in verse 6 and it says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May their peace within your walls and security within your towers. For the sake, uh, for the sake of, your fam- of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. The final way of, is our attitude and mentality towards the gathering of believers. Uh, what is it? And the final way we get is, is gathering together shapes our prayer life. David outlines this uh, simply, right? It's just four verses, four different ways to pray. It's, it's, it's pray Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of the church. For your brothers and sisters in Christ and for the well-being of the church. So pray for Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of the church. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And pray for the well-being of the church. You will not, your prayer life will not be effectively shaped if you are not participating in worship with one another. Right, it, it is. Um, we, we are able to, of course, take prayer requests. We are able to kind of share on the surface of, oh, oh how, how can you be praying for me? How can, you know, what is going on? And, and there is, of course, temporary. There's text, there's Facebook, there's all of these different things that are on the surface level that we can grab from and pray for people. And I would say, of course, in, in context, that is good. It is good to pray for people, especially if, um, if it's a serious thing. But if we are to pray deeply and earnestly for one another, we have to get past the surface. The only way that we are able to get past the surface of just a text message here and there is we are spending time with one another going through this journey 
uh, of, uh, towards the gospel, ascending and sharing, right? We, we get back to kind of this introduction of, right, this, this psalm of ascent. It's giving us a picture of the journey being up and down and struggle and great. And if we are to pray for one another and invest in one another in a relationship with one another, we have to be able to spend time with one another, How will you know what to pray for if you're not spending time with somebody? On a deep level. And while this sermon, you know, it's, it's not about prayer, um, I'll give you this about prayer. If your prayer life is more focused on you and your needs or your ailments, um, I would say you have a faith that is rooted in your own needs and desires and not God's. Gathering together in the presence of God is going to shape our weekly prayer lives, all right? That would, of course, go for Sunday morning worship. That would, of course, would be a plug for your small group. That would, of course, be a plug for uh, this, having deep relationships with fellow believers who are different than you and praying for you and investing in you. When one, um, when one hears a sermon like this on a passage like this, uh, I, I was kind of thinking through of, of preaching and the points and, 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 and all of these different things. Um, and I, I kind of felt uneasy <laughs> because I, I know the reactions to it, right? And, and, of course, there's hundreds of different reactions to it, but I, I was kind of feeling through uh, two, two very quick reactions came to my mind. And the first one is we hear this, um, and we immediately label this as legalism. Of course, Justin is a pastor, and he wants us to attend church. Of course, he's going to get up here and tell us the importance of the body of believers. Of course, he wants us to come to church. Of course, he wants us to tithe. Of course, he wants us to, to do these things. And we label it as legalism, and then we, and we feel like it's not applicable. I grew up in a legalistic church, and I dare to say that this command of Scripture, this passage, is not legalism. I, I feel like I can label legalism successfully well because my, my family was kicked out of a church over legalism. I would say this Obedience to God's word is not legalism. If we are to believe scripture to be God's word, that implies we recognize the authority in which scripture has. And if it has, if scripture has this authority and is making an act of obedience clear, it is not legalism. Obedience is challenging. Obedience makes us feel uh, uneasy. Obedience makes us feel like we don't, we don't like to be controlled. Nobody likes to be controlled. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Even in a good sense, right? The, the command of go to church, right, is, is a simple one. It's a good one, and, and, we ten, and we can enjoy it. But then we see how quickly, if we don't be obedient and prioritize gathering together with the body of believers, of how quickly it falls down our totem pole of priorities. 
and how quickly we begin to rely on convenience of, of podcast, of online church, and all of these different things. And then we find that we are just, uh, we are in, only engaging with the church when it is convenient for us. But we know that the, that the, walk, in, uh, the, that the walk with Christ, that the, the Christian journey is not something that we on, should only be doing when it's convenient. Because if we're only going to do it when it's convenient, then we're probably not going to do it at all. And then what that creates is a stagnant Christian, and that creates in us, well, God, where are you? I don't feel you anymore. Being obedient to God's word, it grows us, it challenges us, it can mature us, and it can mold us. But as I say to the students, and it's applicable to all of us as adults, we have free will. It is your choice if you participate in this or not. The second response I kind of came up with is we will contest that online church and doing our own thing is just as good. We are coming out of a time, obviously that being COVID, um, that yes, it really was this tricky time of could you or really even should you um, gather and attend an in-person service. Churches, ours, worldwide, everywhere, we spent time, we spent money, we spent resources, we spent staff meetings planning into online church and equipping families. However, I would contest to you that this time is now past. I'm not proclaiming that COVID is over. I do not have that authority. (laughs) I am not proclaiming that it is gone. I am not proclaiming anything political. I am not proclaiming anything like that. But what I am encouraging you is that this time has now passed and it is time to be a part of the body of believers in the presence of God again. Uh, two weeks ago, I, I had the privilege of, of doing this ride-along uh, with this officer in Canby, and, and it was late at night, and so we're, we're zooming through streets, thought I was going to die a few times just from his driving, not anything serious, but um, we're pulling people over, and, um, and uh, it was really cool. I got to listen to what this guy was interacting, because he had some kind of mic on him, so I'm staying in the car listening to him, and uh, there was a few different people that we um, pulled over that had expired tags. Um, and as he's having a conversation with them, he's saying, hey, did you know your tags are expired? Which I find is a funny question because we all know our tags are expired, right? But, um, and so every single person that night, their response was, yeah, I know, but COVID, you know, there was this time that it was closed, and then they were really backed up, and then I know there was like this kind of rumor that you would forgive us and not, and not pull us over, and, and all of this thing. And, and to this cop's credit, he was very gracious, he was very kind, as long as the person was doing so. Um, and he would always say, listen, I understand, I get it, but the time has passed now. Get your tags fixed. <laughs> And he would just say it respectfully, and he would let them off with a warning. 
And I would say the same is true of the church. We get it. COVID was a messy and stressful time, and everybody had to make different decisions for themselves, and health and everybody's context is different. But I would say to you, the time, that time has passed. I would also say to you that uh, if you are to be and choose, and I hope you will, even after this message, choose to be a part of OCEC, that we are no longer really able to even put in any effort into online because we have you here. In fact, our live stream computer crashed last night, so we're not even live streaming this. (laughs) The time has passed. The reason for this ask of will you value, will you prioritize the body of believers gathering together in God's presence, it's not an ask out of legalism, it's not an ask out of the sake for numbers, right? But rather it's based off of scripture and the conviction of it that gathering of the people of God in the presence of God is crucial and irreplaceable for the follower of him. That brings me to my third and final and your hopeful response is, will you allow the Holy Spirit to convict you if your attitude and your mentality is not right towards this? A person who is able to but chooses to not actively be involved with the body of Christ and the presence of God will not be able to grow in their faith long term. It's just not possible. And if we're true with ourselves, if we, uh, I, I dearly love my sisters. I love my sisters so much. They both would 100% take this approach of, I could just do my own thing. They have been hurt by the church, and they have reason to be frustrated with the church because of my family being kicked out, because of a different experience they had. They, they have all the reasons on, on paper of, of taking the stance of, I can do this on my own. And while I am not the judger of my sisters, I, I, I'm not their final judgment, I can tell you there has been absolutely zero spiritual fruit in their lives for as long as I can remember since they have taken the stance. It is not possible to grow in your faith long-term if you are not actively and engaged with the body of Christ in the presence of God. What is your attitude and mentality towards this? Scripture makes clear to us that it's important. But is it important to you? Let's pray. So God, I, I first, I, I just thank you for this opportunity to, to, uh, to be up here. Um, God, I, I pray that you would um, just work in our lives, God, to, as we see Scripture elevate certain things and importances and uh, make clear to us the act of obedience to it. God, I, I pray that we would 
allow it to challenge us, to mold us, God, and that we would see it not as a stumbling block or not as an excuse not to or not just to get frustrated and write it off, God, but I pray, God, that you would, uh, um, that we would embrace it, that we would see the value and the importance of it. And God, I pray for, for our local body of believers here, God, I, I pray that we would be able to embrace this diversity, the, uh, the different kinds of people here, God, I, I pray that we would just see that as a great thing, as a, as a thing that we can learn from and we can better each other for it. So God, we, I thank you, God, for just all that you have done with the body of believers, God, historically and in the present. God, and, and I pray that we would just choose to be a part of that movement now and in the future. Lord, I love you and I thank you. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm.